Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 474 with a review of The Florida Project. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we uh, already put into a feed uh, a review of Happy Death Day, so hopefully you enjoyed that. And now we're coming together to review a more serious film. Um, as we mentioned in the last episode, Carson may be over dramas in his life, so we'll see how this review goes. But do you uh, even yeah. do you wait, even wait, flow what? pro? Do you Car- even flow pro, bro? <laughs> Carson is over dramas. <laughs> he said he doesn't like dramas anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um. I've had enough. I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> oh, There's Captain, too my much Captain. sad. Yeah. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. I need I need no more dramas. If I wanted drama, I'd just go outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I have a wild card question for you guys that I'm gonna throw out this week. Uh, I'm mostly wild- doing it. Mostly doing this. Wild card bitches. Just to put you guys on the spot. Mm-hmm. So uh you guys want to record some episodes while I'm gone the next two weekends? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, Whoa. sure, that could be a whole new thing. Um, Can we still send in a new edit for us in Russia? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Oh, you're going to, oh, in Russia? Mm-hmm. This is how we do in Russia. I heard podcast edit you in Russia, though, so. That, that's right, which is why I'm planning on doing no podcast editing there, because whew, might be a little rough. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, I will be gone the next two weekends. I guess I'll be back when you guys would be recording the second review, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you guys are interested in uh, flying that one duo. <laughs> yeah, now Sounds we can good. finally review the My Little Pony movie, Stephen. <laughs> Hell yeah. Wait, Hell is Kirk yeah. Cameron doing a new movie next I, week? He is doing a new movie. I, he, he appeared on my freaking movie theater screen the other day. Wait, And I who don't did? remember what it was for. Awesome. Oh, no, it was like an advertisement for an organization, I think. Eh. Wait, who are you talking about? Kirk Cameron. I, I want to do the Saving Christmas review that never was. <laughs> oh, Kirk Cameron. Yeah, I heard. I saw he's got something coming out. Yeah. It's not a movie. It's like some one night only, come to Jesus type of thing. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe that was what I was thinking of. What mm. I saw. But anyways, yeah, I'll, I'll be gone. Um, I know the second week is Thor Ragnarok, I believe, right? Yeah, I think so. And then what is what is next weekend? Is anybody wait? Know? When are, when are you coming back? Thor is coming out in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So the second in two weeks, I will be arriving home. Oh, back. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. so he'll arguably be able to do that one. Well, I would be seeing the, like. I will be back at 12.43 a.m. Monday morning. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's plenty of time. Oh, plenty, plenty of time, dude. <laughs> so so I will be getting off a 20-hour plane flight. Bro, just go to that 6.45 a.m. show. You'll be, you'll be set. <laughs> All right. So good news. We will supposedly have episodes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So what do you say, guys, we get into this review of Florida Project? Sure. All right, we're going to take a listen to the trailer for The Florida Project, and then we're going to come back and give you a review. Thanks for calling the Magic Castle, Amber. Mm. Yeah, sure do. $38.90. Mm. <laughs> okay, I warned you. One drip and you're out. Oh, come on! Out now. It's going to melt. It's mountain inside, too. But Bobby... Out. Thank you very much. You're not welcome! 
to rest it a lot. These are the rooms we're not supposed to go in. But let's go anyway. <laughs> Could you give us some change, please? The doctor said we have asthma and we gotta eat ice cream yeah. right away. Here you go. Hey, Lee, got a situation here. Open up. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We're trying to get it back alive. Water balloons thrown at tourists. Boobies! Boobies! I failed as a mother, Moni. Yeah, Mom, you're a disgrace. New job? Yeah. If you're working, who's looking after Moni? You're not my father. I don't want to be your you father. You can't treat me like this. You don't think everybody knows what's up here, Lee? Everybody. She's about to cry. I can always tell when adults are about to cry. Where is my mommy? They're just talking. They gotta figure something out. So that was the trailer for The Florida Project, which is a little drama. <laughs> Might be a little too much drama for Carson. I'm triggered, guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a little story about uh, some kids living in the projects in uh, Florida. So, Stephen Miller, what did you think of this film? Yeah, so the precursor to this, I don't know if it was on the air or just over text, uh, but Carson described this as like almost definitely my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> I think I think that was a that was a statement that Carson Patrick made. I don't it was one of, it was one of our lengthy discussions that happened post recording. That oh, yeah. sounded very much like the opening yeah. banter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anyway, I was I was already definitely on board to see this movie, but like Carson's comments definitely put it more on my radar. And like, I have to say, this is an enchanting trailer, right? Like, at, at least for me, it has all the ingredients of things that I love. It's got, like, the little bit of short-term 12 in there. There's the kids playing. There's kind of a Wes Anderson-y framing with bright colors and a quirky feel. Uh, I really enjoyed Tangerine. I don't know if Chris ever saw it. I know Carson wasn't a fan, I think. I have not seen it. But I, I was not a fan. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the kind of like guerrilla filmmaking of that movie. And I think that I think Sean Baker does really interesting stuff in that he like whether you find it cloying or heartfelt, he's definitely like trying to dive into a community or a story that you wouldn't normally find a Hollywood drama about and make a film about it. And like that technique works for some people. It's too rugged for other people. But it's like I, I think it's interesting. He's a cool kind of filmmaker to watch. Um so anyway, I was very, very, very excited about this movie. And I will say it, like, it somewhat delivered on, on how I felt. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm, I'm, it's, it's really hard to say. So here's the thing. There are different Stevens, right? There's the War of Schnazies that happens sometimes. There's occasionally the War of Stevens. Um, one thing I really like is heartfelt, right? <laughs> that, that's the thing that I go for. I don't seek out things that look heartfelt, but I'm always happy to be surprised when it is like a touching, simple story. Like Brooklyn was like that, right? Brooklyn is a pretty straight, on-the-nose, heartfelt film, 
and I loved it. Like About Time is another one. Like I, I, I've gone back to that movie like four times for virtually no reason other than it just like has the feels, and you and you want that occasionally. Um, <laughs> and like th- this movie is in subject matter, it is heartfelt and it is empathetic, but it is not a touching film in the sense that it is building to a catharsis. This is a film that wants to put you in a kind of. Uh, I, I'm I'm having trouble finding the right word. It, it's trying to put you in a very blunt sort of abrasive situation. In the case that it it isn't sanding the edges around any of the characters, it isn't trying to distill things into a kind of nicely packaged plot. This movie is saying, look, we're gonna show you kids living in this kind of hidden homeless population of Orlando. They're not gonna be well behaved. We're just gonna follow them for the most part and show you what their life looks like. Yeah. And over the course over the course of the film, we're gonna show you a little bit more about their life and it'll build to a bit, but for the most part, we're just gonna sit here, right? We're gonna be content to be around these kids. And they're not gonna be extremely loud and incredibly close. They're not gonna be Jacob <laughs> Tremblay, you know, love that or don't love that. They are gonna be, you know, yelling and screaming and playing and largely unintelligible, depending on the scene, and it's just gonna be like watching kids for a few hours. And I, I love the ambition of that movie. And, like, I really enjoyed the fact that this existed. And, like, thinking back to the movie hours later and the day afterwards, I felt warmer to it than I felt in the moment. In the moment, I kind of felt like, I don't want to have kids for a little while. <laughs> um, so, so there was that. But then at the same time, like, I really like what he pulled with it like Carson's touchstone when he recommended this to me was Andrea Arnold Uh, and I think you were thinking American Honey but I was feeling more fish tank actually where this is very much like a look at the sort of loud quote white trash of the world and trying to find a heartfelt story in a thing that is like not on its face very heartfelt Um, and it definitely worked there for me like I'm I, I was moved by it, especially the last, like, 15, 20 minutes of this movie. I, I definitely got weepy. Like, it, it pulled some heartstrings for me. Uh, but on a whole, it was just, like, it was a little too aimless, a little too in need of maybe, like, an editor to cut maybe, like, the 12 playtime scenes down into six or seven playtime scenes. <laughs> like, just a little stuff where I was kind of, like, I love, like, the visuals you're going for, and I love the humanist element of this story, but it is really taking a long time to get from scene to scene. So when the different elements start to pop up, like Willem Dafoe, I think, pulls a really nice turn here. It's unlike any Willem Dafoe I've ever seen before. Um, When there are little bits of kind of more human elements sprinkled in where it isn't just the children, but the children through the eyes of adults who are actually understanding what's going on, I think it does hit a really nice touching place. And definitely the the final shot of this movie hits what I would say is a very uh, escapist, moving thing that is what I hoped the whole film would be. Escape from tomorrow is what... (laughs) I I was going to... Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I was going to reference that too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could talk about. You could talk about, like, Carson is going to laugh here, but Room 2, right? Like, the worlds that kids try to escape into. Uh, Oh, yeah. You know, there's a whole... This is a whole genre unto itself, is, like, how kids survive difficult situations. I I actually told Sarah after this movie that... I never thought I'd say it, but I would have preferred Jacob Tremblay in this movie. <laughs> that is, wow. I I would not. I am. Um, I I really enjoyed like Brooklyn Prince. I think does a great job. Like the the lead quote actress, the little girl at the center of it. I think it is not her fault that the film devotes 
30% too much time just watching her and not enough time putting her in context. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was super torn about this movie. I feel really good that it exists. It didn't have the kind of like traditional warm-hearted thing that Tangerine had for me. It was much more of the abrasion and much less of anything else tying it in a bow. So that also makes me curious how Carson feels because you'd like things not being tied in a bow. <laughs> but Jacob Tremblay reference kind of makes me think not. <laughs> Yeah, I'm slowly coming back around to Jacob Tremblay because I see all these kids uh, that just like the Tremble Sons. <laughs> the the what? The Tremble Sons. The Tremble Tremblay Sons. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I, it just at least like uh, Jacob Tremblay has some acting. Ch- like, I thought he was annoying in Room, but uh, I thought he was acceptable in the Book of Henry. So I, I feel like if you put him in the right stuff. He'd be okay. He's like, a little this, young to break yeah, the sound barrier. Yeah, I just think like his whole thing is just funny because he's like a he's just like a he's just like a kid, but he's like the Sean Penn of kids, you know. <laughs> um, like, yeah, I'm gonna put on face makeup and play this kid. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, whatever. Ponytail uh, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I didn't like this movie. I don't think it should come as any surprise. Um, this is my, uh, how I react to this movie is I'm sure how Chris reacted to like the lobster or something, you know, like I just, <laughs> you have this is, no idea how I react to the lobster. <laughs> like I just don't, like, this is not my cup of tea. Um, like I said, I was kind of joking in the last episode that I'm just over dramas. Like I think that like I, I'm just becoming more and more. I gravitate more and more towards just escapist movies that have nothing to do with reality. Like that's, I feel like that's the whole reason, like why movies exist is because like you're watching something that completely isn't real. Um, Sometimes like hard hitting, like realistic movies, like dramas can be effective. And if they're done well, like this, I I just like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was done right. Like I, didn't like Tangerine, but I like Tangerine more than this movie. Um, although I like the look of this movie more than Tangerine. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it's definitely much shot... more professional yeah. looking. Obviously, they shot it on film and not an iPhone, so it looked a lot better. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, look, like there's. I referenced Andrea Arnold because that's what came to mind when I saw the trailer. Um, I think, you know, the difference between this and something like American Honey or any of her movies, really, is that, you know, I, I think that in American Honey, you know, the the mix of, like, non-actors and real actors um, was better balanced. Like, it, it never felt like, oh, I wanted more Shia or I wanted more Riley Keough. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in this movie, I just wanted the whole thing to be about Willem Dafoe because yeah. he's the best actor in this movie. Um, I could watch a whole movie where he's, like, busting pedophiles and shooing away birds um i i will watch that movie in a heartbeat uh especially if someone like you know andrea arnold or like harmony corinne directed it because that's what after i watched tangerine i was like this is basically just like a bad or a not great harmony corinne movie um it's kind of like how brad status was just a not good noah bombach movie like, has, has chris just, seen that yet i haven't seen it yet all right i still want to um and when I watched the real uh, new Noah Baumbach movie this weekend, uh, uh, you know, 
I was happy to get the real thing instead of like a uh, like a fake or a, you know a kind of a the generic off-brand version. Um, so yeah, that's what this movie felt like to me. Um, I, I thought the, the, the non-actors in this movie, like they weren't as effective as, as like the, as Sasha Lane or the, the girl in Fish Tank, uh, especially the kids, man. Like I just, I'm, I already like don't have a high tolerance of child actors these days because they just all seem like, uh, Disney stars, like just. They don't, they're not really actors. They're just in it because like their parents want them to be actors or just, they're just, I don't know. Like, it's just like a whole thing. And Sarah can explain it a lot better than me. Um, but, uh, yeah, like the kids in this man, I like, I've never related so hard to a character in a movie, uh, than when Willem Dafoe made a finger gun at the kids in this movie. (laughs) And I like we, Sarah and I both busted up laughing. We're like, oh man, I feel you, Willem. Um, Dude, I was laughing before that when it's cutting, it's cutting back and forth between him staring at the kids mm-hmm. as they both lick the same ice cream cone yeah. Yeah. without blinking, just looking at him. Yeah. Like, I mean, I really felt like I, I don't see. I don't think the movie was the movie was obviously trying to get you to feel <laughs> sympathetic towards uh, the character, towards the main uh, character, the main uh, woman who I can't remember I, her name. I'm not sure that sympathetic is, is the right word. Well, I think they definitely wanted you to at least s- not side with her, but you know, obviously feel the feels at the end yeah. when uh, things go down. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, we, we, can, we can get into that in a bit. I, I have some thoughts about that, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess if you want to do that, I'll save that for later. But uh, I can't remember her character name. I just thought she looked like Ratchet Sarah Polly, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> usual, so that you know, that's the usual uh, me saying something gets a cricket response. So uh, that one connected. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about half the time. Um, so yeah, like, uh, I got I was, a lot of Riley Keough from uh, American Honey in her, except for obviously like way different bar of acting for sure. Right, um, and I mean there, it is it is interesting that there are a lot of similarities to American Honey. Um, I just think in that movie. Uh, there was, I, I like the, the way that the, the realism was captured. I also think there was a little more of like a weird, like it, it like felt real life, but it didn't, there was a little more of like a magical quality. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't really like a real, like come more of like a surreal quality to it. Um, it also helped that like the characters, you know, it was kind of showing you like something that you really hadn't seen before in a movie. Like these, they're like hustling to sell magazine subscription is this whole like like world of um they don't really see um this like i guess it was kind of trying to do the same thing but uh i just to not as effective results again like i i really connected to willem dafoe's character and his like strife with dealing with all these uh tenets and stuff uh and i think like you know if it had been a movie like a like a really just off the wall like Harmony Corinne style movie where Willem Dafoe is like the manager of this motel and he's dealing with all this riffraff, like to me that would be the movie that I would like to see. But you know that's obviously not what this is. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean what what it comes down to, what I kind of hinted at at the in the other episode is that I mean it just wasn't for me. 
I'm just like s- slowly like just giving up on dramas and uh, my rating is arbitrary. Like I wouldn't like begrudge anyone to go see this. Like a friend of mine, like her and her husband were really excited to go see it. And then I saw it and was like, I didn't like, we didn't like it at all. But, uh, you know, don't listen to me because you might like it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but then they ended up being disappointed. So I don't know. But yeah, like, again, like when I, at the end of this review, when I rate the movie, like, obviously don't listen to me. Because, you know, obviously, <laughs> like a lot of people have liked the movie. Like, uh, you know, that's evident. Um, yeah, basically, like just any, like any rating, like see it and decide for yourself but (laughs) if you know me you know that i wasn't probably gonna like this movie like i had problems with the trailer just from what i i was hoping for the best but i ended up you know getting the worst so Hmm. you know whatever flow pro (laughs) what what were you hoping for and what did you pro no go Uh, well, for me, I did not see the trailer for this film. Um, I went into this tra- I went into this film completely cold. Um, I knew nothing other than it was the follow-up to a film I hadn't seen before. <laughs> so, which I also, I don't think I even saw the trailer for Tangerine. Um, I don't remember a trailer for Tangerine. It probably existed. Yeah, I'm sure there is one, or if there wasn't before, there is now. But like, I it's just I I know nothing about filmmaker this story anything i went in completely cold basically uh last week steven was like hey i got tickets to florida project there's still tickets if you want to go see it and i was like that's the tangerine follow-up sure and then i bought tickets we both missed the film uh saw it separately and i was just i was just seeing it because i didn't even know if we were going to be reviewing it i just knew it was something steven wanted to see mm-hmm. and i was willing to give it a watch because it's one that might be good. Um, <clears throat> all that being said, there is a possibility that I may have liked this the most out of everyone in this room. Um, I, I wasn't going to hold, like, I, I wasn't ruling that out when I walked into this tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, it's, and it's not even that I necessarily think this is a great film technically. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily, it, it's not what I would normally want from a film when going in to see it. Um, mm. Like I, like I said, I didn't see the trailer, so it's not even like I had like any sort of uh, thing in my head of what I wanted from it. I just watched it. Um, but I thought it was uh, like an incredibly compelling, naturalistic look at at um, at just these children in this situation. And, you know, this might be a thing that I'm getting older and I like things that view worlds that I am adult enough to understand through the eyes of children where I can watch their inability to understand it alongside my ability to understand it. And I think that this film does that in an amazing way. Um, Obviously these kids are not in a great situation, but they are in a situation where there is plenty of love and genuine caring from the people that they do interact with. Even like Willem Dafoe's character who is like, always mad at them mm-hmm. he still cares about them and yeah, it's clear he, he lets them play hide and seek under his desk yeah yeah like it, it's clear that there is some begrudging uh love for these kids that he deals with in a con like they get on his nerves but he still sees their, them as as cute kids who are just trying to like live in this situation that like they that is beyond their control and these kids have no idea what their situation is like their entire universe is this block of of uh like old hotels, I guess, that, mm-hmm. that they live in. And, you know, their friend groups are split between them on the road. And 
there is no um, there is no idea of a quote unquote better life than what they have. Their entire world is is this little area, and they're one hundred percent content. Like bad things are happening, uh, you know, people are getting evicted around them, and they're just like one day Billy from next door is not friends with us anymore because he had to go. Right, like mm-hmm. that's the type of thing they deal with on a normal basis, but. Their world isn't destroyed. They still go out and play every day, and they just have fun. Not a care in the world. They are problem children, sure. But, like, they have people in their lives who care about them and are doing their best, right? And I think that it's easy to see another person in a condition somewhere and think, like, oh, that mother is horrible, and, like, how could those children live in that setting? But, like, this film shows that, like, that setting is dangerous for the children, but like they don't realize how crazy it is, right? There, there's something really interesting about watching these children live in these scenarios, and and like it, it felt totally real. I know Carson, you were saying that the the kids all seemed not the best of actors, and maybe like even even you, Stephen, you were referencing that like those scenes of them playing went on just a little bit too long, but you know what? kids go on playing too long all the time Mm -hmm. there wasn't a moment of those kids playing that didn't feel so real to me i mean i i grew up having three little sisters um, i I thought about that one when watching the movie (laughs) and imagining your response yeah my 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 little sisters weren't spitting on people's cars and saying (laughs) obscene things to them but like i like i know what it's like to be surrounded by a bunch of like little children even within my own family right so it's like seeing them interact and just like screaming for no reason and like doing things. It's like, it all felt real and it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the way in like a Judd Apatow film where the characters are just going to riff until a joke works for them and they edit that into the movie. Mm -hmm. It felt like kids go play and let's just film these people, these kids doing whatever they're going to do. But it felt good. Like it felt like a really interesting way. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. There's time like halfway through this movie, I was like, is this just suddenly credits going to roll eventually? Like, are yeah. we just going to watch these kids play for two hours and then the movie's just going to end? Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that anything will happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not upset about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it felt... and then That's of co- big for a schnazy, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it just... I don't know. This, this window just felt really interesting to me. And then, obviously, as things start to build and progress and thing, things get more drama-y... And I was like, okay, so this is the story that we're telling. I'm on board for seeing how this plays out. And I think like it, it's 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 not a super awesome happy story. Like, it, and that that sounds like maybe that was a little bit of not that you wanted to be happy, but like it's not the type of story you can feel good about. Um, which may have been part of yeah, a that didn't really have to do with whether it ended positively or negatively. It was more the. Uh whether it had like quote the moment right like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. thing that you look back on as like that's what it was right like yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it was about <laughs> like the meta- metaphorical version of like silent bob speaking and explaining what the movie's about right <laughs> like it it doesn't have anything remotely close to that in this film mm-hmm. and i there i don't know something about it it just felt real and i cared about all the characters mm-hmm. and it's hard to make me care about all the characters in your movie, right? Like even like the assistant at the, at the like Willem Dafoe's assistant, who's like 
can you take care of this? Like, even like I care about her having to ex- like it, mm-hmm. it just like everyone feels real and everybody feels interesting. And I want to know what's going on with them. And characters definitely do things that like I want them to explain why they would just go and do this. Mm-hmm. But like I'm fine with not knowing because it feels like that. Maybe that's something that's just going to happen between these, those people. And like I I like if people ask me about it. I usually go like, oh, yeah, it was pretty good. Like I I. I feel really positive towards my experience with it. Not necessarily like I need to celebrate this film and make sure everybody goes and sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just one of those things where while I was watching it, I was really impressed with what I was watching. Cause it just, it was, it was really compelling to me. Um, the little end thing bugged the shit out of me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Cause it, cause it looks so like GoPro. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's, obvious why it looked like it was well, GoPro. Yeah, yeah. But they had to they had to escape from tomorrow it yeah yeah like i like doing like sudden guerrilla filmmaking as the coda to your film doesn't necessarily um but chris don't you anything. know that that using uh the, the going from 35 millimeter to digital camera to gives speed it a very, digital camera gives it a really <laughs> surreal quality that makes you not feel like you're present in the film can, can this carson review every movie <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be the, the third guest next week while i'm gone <laughs> um but yeah so just i i think if this movie would have ended on the close-up of the mother's mouth it would have been a better movie. Mm. So, yeah, I think the ending was a clear risk, like a swing for the fences. And I, I liked what it did with that. I liked the little like coda that it added to it, but it, it kind of made like text. What I think was just fine subtext before. Yeah. Like the, it's probably going to ruin the ending, but whatever, like the, the subtext of the film, like a clear sadness with all this is, you know, they're in the magic castle, right? They're not in the magic kingdom. They're yeah, yeah. right next to Disney World where parents spend, like, tons of money to take their kids on yeah, adventures. $1,700, apparently. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're making Blair spend $1,700 to take his kids <laughs> on adventures. Um, and right next to Worth that it. are just, like, the... It isn't even the poorest of the poor. It's just, like, a very specific type of poor where there's, like, low likelihood of ever getting out of that yeah and kids that are just like living life where their version of a theme park is walking five blocks to go hustle ice cream from strangers and then sitting in a park and eating it and like that gap between like the luxury that all these other kids are getting and the total lack of anything attentive that these kids are getting that's like like i think that's why the color palette is so vibrant and it's why he has like so much fun with all these different like environments that they go to and like murals on the wall and the end is kind of very much putting that in your face and being like how do you feel now about like what everybody else gets to be doing while you're watching these kids so so here as you started to explain it i realized why i hate it Mm -hmm. every single minute of this film feels 100 percent authentic except for the fact that two kids could not do that at the end Sure. <laughs> That's funny. I, I don't even. I don't even care if one reads it as a thing they did or whoa, a fantasy. Whoa, where were the wristbands? <laughs> you can't just go into Disney World without the wristbands. 
I I, I think it lends itself <laughs> I mean, that to was, fantasy. The ending was such a cl- was so clearly like a art artiste artistic uh, license, you know. Yeah, but the entire film is naturalistic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you it, become it is like, a sudden oh, shift. I'm just going to do this artistic thing at the end but what, with so my what, GoPro yeah, camera. But it didn't, what, what I was going to like feel, it. It didn't feel out of place because this is a, na- yeah, it's it's going for the naturalism, but like it's very, it's a film. Like it's not a, you know, it's very film. So it's what, like what I was Terrence what I was Malick liken, goes for naturalism. I, I was going to liken this to a movie that I know Chris loves. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to guess it already. That movie is Safety Not Guaranteed, which mm. is effectively mumblecore-ish, largely naturalistic, until one wild swing for the fences. Right? Yeah, but I think... Of course, tonally, I think that film was more consistent about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like the think spirit of the film, film is contained in that swing for the fences. I think what that film was doing with that moment is similar in the suspension of disbelief as what this one is doing well, put it this way i teared up at the end of safety yeah. not guaranteed i did not tear up at the end of this movie okay. i was like huh <laughs> well I that is up, so. a legitimately much better movie <laughs> oh no nobody's arguing that yeah <laughs> it's the same i same idea though but i i think yeah like like you're saying the tone is handled better i just stood uh, up and yelled just like shutter island <laughs> ah of course so I guess one one thing that I felt watching this film, and it didn't negate from it, it was just a different viewing experience, is I I did not feel necessarily that everyone was, quote, doing their best. Or I didn't feel like that was what the film was trying to be about. You mean For instance, my, the my characters feeling, in their world? Yeah, my feeling about the mother character was largely that I understand her. Like, the film lets you see what she is going through. But I didn't feel like like the way the film ends is not how it should have ended. Like, like, like I, I didn't feel in the sense that, oh, this shouldn't happen. Right? Yeah, so it's the logical conclusion of their story. But I, mm-hmm. but I feel like, like I'm not... I'm like you. I understand her. She is definitely her problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the world isn't doing this to her. I mean, there's a, there's a very specific moment. She is yeah. struggling to make ends meet, and she blows what appears to be an entire week's of rent on annoying her friend who is yeah. not speaking to her <laughs> by just ordering food. Yeah. Right? Like, th- things like that. But but I think people do that. No, sure. I, like, oh, I, I, I As much as I don't... Like, she's clearly a quote-unquote bad person, mm. and I don't respect her, but I still believed her. Oh, right. I, like, I totally believe. Like, I, in my head, I was like, what are you doing? But mm-hmm. I was like, seems plausible. Oh, oh, don't don't get me wrong. I believed her just in the sense that I believe all the characters in American Honey. Like, I believe that people will make decisions not all of them good ones and still not be like caricatures or monsters. But I, the frame of the film was such that the character I most empathized with was Willem Dafoe's character. And I think he is kind of the audience surrogate where you are, you are not, not okay with what is going on at the end of the film, but you are also sad at it. Right, you you're somewhere in the middle where there's some kind of paternal thing going on where you 
you know that the outcome of the film may be for the best and you also feel very sad about how it would feel to be in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's all the film is trying to do in a very docudrama-esque way is to say this is the kind of sad situation that would happen and we are not asking you to think everyone's trying their best or feel warm and fuzzy about that. We are just telling you this is the sort of thing that happens. Yeah. And also... <laughs> You have this power, Stephen, where as you speak, I remember why I hate the ending of this movie. <laughs> oh, man. So, y- y- there was were- this guy, Stephen, sitting behind me just <laughs> no, talking the no. whole time. <laughs> like, shut up, you're whimpering. <laughs> I'm enjoying this movie. Um, I just no, want to say, I didn't have any problem with the ending. I thought it actually fit the movie. It's just that the movie was not effective on me, so the ending had no effect yeah. on me. If well. that makes sense. <laughs> I'm just saying, because like, the whole movie is very manipulative and trying to uh, trigger the feels. I, I, I understand what, what you mean by that. Like Any movie that is like just focusing on fairly adorable kids for a large part of its runtime is, you know, quote, manipulative in that sense, right? Yeah. Like, that's, you know, its aim is to make you feel something. I think, like... As far as the genre of a film that's trying to make you feel something goes, I think the movie, up until that point, did very little to like explicitly manipulate feelings. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what Chris didn't like about it, is this was like the, the heartstring tugging was text for one moment instead of just a thing that was happening while the camera rolled. Well, no, I, I, think, I think also, like, so explain that like everything is naturalistic and suddenly it's like fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think also as things ramp up right at the end, we transition from the story being about the kids to the story being about all the adults, uh-huh. every single person who is now their journeys are overlapping in this one moment. And I think that like Willem Dafoe is sort of the audience surrogate where like, you don't know, like clearly, as you said, Stephen, like this is the right thing to happen, but you also have something in your head that wonders if if this right. needs to happen. And there's a, like you watch Willem Dafoe try to try to help her, try to help the other people who are arriving on the scene, and then starts to walk away, and then the kid try <laughs> still trying to be semi ambiguous, but like. There is a moment where now there's genuine fear in Willem Dafoe's eyes. Like, he's trying to see what's happened, what's going on, and he needs to take action because he's worried that something could happen. Mm-hmm. And then we just cut away from all of that. Right. I definitely, I definitely think the more, the more sweeping emotional ending would involve him taking flight somehow. In yeah. That moment. Like and it, I, I thought that was going to happen. Yeah. It just feels like there is a lot that happens there. And the universe stops for this moment of fantasy. And I think that just like once again, it's like really important emotional beats for various characters are all happening while we spend this one moment that the child probably doesn't actually understand. Right. The, mm-hmm. the way you interpret that, there's no way that child perceives it in that same way. It's nothing more than a distraction to the child. So, but. so the short-term twelve version of this ending is where he starts running, and they're both running, and then it doesn't resolve, right? Like that would that would be kind of the like 
the grand emotional <laughs> version of it. A kid in a cape just runs by. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I feel you. I think, so for me, like, like I was serious about being very torn where while watching this movie, I simultaneously was like, this isn't like the War of Two Shinazes in that I like, I'm like trying to justify a thing that I didn't actually like. Like I was like, bo- I was both smiling and feeling good and feeling frustrated. Yeah, yeah. And I think the frustration to me might be partly the subject matter. I think like if the kids had been like, like three or four years older, it would have been much easier to delve into emotional territory that is like easier to wrestle with. Yeah. And I think, their choice to keep them, I, I'm not good with ages, but I'm guessing they're like six or seven. Like, I'm, I'm guessing that's roughly what they're supposed to be. Um, keeping it at that age is like just enough where you you can see how they're feeling. So you get the escapism, right? Like that comes through what the day looks like, how yeah. they entertain themselves. There, there's a lot about like the the like brightness of a kid's imagination compared to the darkness of their surroundings. Um but it just you can't go past that and i think for me the reason the movie like american honey which i don't know if chris ever saw yeah we saw it together oh yeah we did <laughs> for, i i had we it in saw my it mind. together at the fat house with a q and a you're and right we yeah how the streets forget, God, reminiscing I totally about how the q and a went there was a movie i loved that like i was waiting for you to see but it was sing street i remember now um and you did see that i did see but, it but anyway the the reason, but, but Chris, you weren't hot on American Honey, right? No, not not the way Stephen was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like to me, the the reason American Honey works, and this doesn't work as well, is it's not really the filmmaking style. Though I do think uh, Andrea Arnold has more craft to what she's doing. Like she definitely takes time for like. You know the lens flares and the like close-ups of animals <laughs> and the little the little things that you observe that do make it more surreal and make it yeah. more um, the tampons more, in the grass. Yeah, <laughs> they they make it more of a journey. And this is not this is not a tampon in the grass. This is a pad <laughs> on a window, right? This is a much more abrasive, <laughs> nice. abrasive film. It's um, also shot in four three because <laughs> it's about life closing in on you. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you get it? <laughs> but to me, I don't think any of those are the primary reason that they work differently for me. I think the primary no. reason, <laughs> the primary reason is that the age, the age of the characters gave me access to emotions in American Honey that this film didn't let yeah. me have, well, and that's also, just a little more what I was looking so, for. Well, it also helped that the characters in American Honey um, w- were like were hustling. They were they were trying to do anything they could really to make ends meet, uh, and if they were lazy bums, they get kicked out by Riley Keough's character. Right. So um, they they had something so like, clear that they wanted because they yeah, were old enough to have that. Yeah, and like the girl in this movie feels like a someone who got kicked out because she's a lazy <laughs> bum. And oh, like, like the mother character. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the mother so, in this movie. So here's the real question. How would you have felt, Stephen, if they had an alcoholic father played by Woody Harrelson? I think you were going to oh, bring no. up that movie. Um, you know, it's hard to say because th- this filmmaking style is much more what I wanted uh, from the, the Glass, Glass Castle. Castle. <laughs> Very similar names now that I think about it. Um, not similar names, but 
the, the magic castle yeah. in the glass. The castle. thing that was the object yeah. of their fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, th- th- this is much more the style that I wanted the glass castle to be. Um, I don't know if a tiny bit more of the explicit heart would have, like, what that would have done. I don't know what that balance would have looked like. Yeah. Um, this is yeah. definitely better than the glass castle. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it I does, agree doesn't have a little mountain goat. <laughs> yeah, but at least it doesn't look like poop. Glass castle looked bad, dude. Like that green tint, and they're they're trying to pass off like that as the eighties, and it was like, ha ha, you you got me. <laughs> Let's just put Brie Larson in some big pearls, and it's the eighties. Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, I don't know. It's it's t- like I do. So after watching the movie, I listened to an interview with Sean Baker, and I like thought back to Tangerine and like. There is a thing he does that I really like conceptually. Like, like Tangerine, the story of that movie, is basically that he was walking around L.A. and found some neighborhood he was curious about and met a transgendered, at least former prostitute, and she like told him her life story, and she became the main actress, quote, in the movie. And it's very much like blurring the line between a fiction but about a very very real thing with non uh non-professional actors playing effectively themselves um and like this movie is pretty similar where it sounds like he was really interested in these areas of florida and spent a lot of time there met manager william defoe like basically shadowed a person for a week and then just became him they filmed at a real place called the magic castle where they really do have people living here and all the scenes are all the locations are real and like very based on true things. And conceptually, I really, really love that. I just think certain documentary naturalistic styles, they need like just a spoonful of sugar, right? To make them go down. (laughs) And this like, there was like not quite enough sugar in it for me, I think. Also, if anyone uh, cares, the uh, donut shop in Tangerine, um, no longer there. Closed down. Really? Pour one out for Donut Shop in Tangerine. That's a shame. It's Appar- uh, apparently that was a place where like uh, prostitutes would spend oh, time and socialize late at night. Oh yeah, I've seen them because I've passed by that corner. I used to pass by that corner all the time. Hmm. It's now a Trejo's Donuts. So I have it's, one question. It's been gentrified. One, <laughs> wait, wait the prostitutes used to go there. Now it's called Trejo's. Yeah, it's a, it's Danny Trejo's donut shop now. <laughs> oh Trejo, ah, getting, yeah, getting. <laughs> go, uh, go. Thank you. I'm here all. Go. So I, I have one. Week. I have one final question for Carson. Is so I think you not being able to care about or like like the mother character in this film hurt it for you. Like I think you mentioned her specifically, right? Yeah, I mean that was definitely a big part of it. Um the the one scene where the uh the other hotel managers are basically like denying her. Mm-hmm. Like I think we like that was a scene that I was trying to refer to at mm-hmm. least um where it felt like the movie wanted you to feel bad for the mother mm. um because she was being denied a room. I um, see I felt like the movie wanted you to relate to willem dafoe and feel bad for the daughter 
I yeah, I mean, I think for sure, like Willem Dafoe, so he runs this place, and he has a bunch of people who are like high risk tenants who are paying him like by the week and maybe not always having the money. Like mm-hmm, that's yeah. the impression that I get, and due to laws <laughs> about people staying in a place they have to like sort of game a system and it only works because of participating neighbor hotels and i think in that moment he's dealing with both the oh i'm trying to help this woman and dealing with the oh shit this is what all of my residents do mm-hmm. like there i think there's like a much deeper oh shit moment where like I almost don't even care about the mom and that like mm. I do I I want her to be able to provide for the child but like it suddenly becomes a big problem that needs to be resolved somehow mm-hmm. and like even if Willem Dafoe is willing to cover the difference of all of those single night stays every month like that's going to add up fast yeah. <laughs> and I I like I think I think that scene everything surrounding that scene is really interesting because that's like it's it's like an info dump without needing like Ariadne to come explain how uh, gay, like people make the different worlds in mm-hmm. Inception, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you suddenly learn a shit ton about this lifestyle all in this one moment without really anybody saying other than um, uh, Willem Dafoe saying like, I'm not going to let you become a resident or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Like that's all you get. And then yeah. this whole, you, like, you know why this interaction is happening and what is going to happen following this if something isn't worked out. And I think it's, like, a pretty, it's pretty, uh, like, th- that scene has consequences moving forward with life. Mm. Um, so I, I, I really like that scene. Yeah. So, so anyway, my, my question, that was just the prelude. My question is to Carson, why did Fish Tank not annoy you? Because I feel like the mother is almost the same character in that movie. Uh, well, I think in that movie, uh, the, I feel like the acting was much stronger in that from the, from the Mm non-actors. Um, but I also just feel like that whole movie was depicting a life that was very like, it wasn't trying to be upbeat at all. And I think it succeeded at that. Um, and I think not only did the it's it's where it's hard it's hard to describe because like i i don't know like i like to follow up on that that other scene like i like that's how i read that scene i really felt like the movie was trying to make you feel bad for the mother and her getting denied when in reality i'm siding with the people who are denying her and willem defoe like i feel his stress in all of this situation um and i felt like you know the whole movie was at least trying to be like, oh, like, you know, they're taking, you know, her daughter is potentially being taken from her and stuff like that. Like, it just, it felt very manipulative. Um, And I, that to me was a character where it felt like if they were not trying to do that, then I'd I'd be more okay with it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like in Fish Tank, they weren't trying to do that. They were just trying to show you like these this life and these people because like the girl the the daughter uh katie jarvis the actor plays the daughter the the main girl in fish tank like she is also not a very likable character either yeah that's true nobody in fish tank makes the right decision like ever 
Yeah, um, but I think like it's kind of like a like a Lynn Ramsey also does that too, where it's like really dark characters um, that aren't likable. Um, or like that that movie she did, Rat Catcher, like that was like really kind of like in the same vibe as Fish Tank, like just a kind of like a really harrowing depiction of uh, the slums of of you know uh, the UK, um, and like. In that case, it's it's kind of like, okay, like that is what they're going for. And I felt like in Florida Project, they weren't going for that. It was trying to be very manipulative and, and trying to get you to tug on the heartstrings instead of just showing you like uh, kind of like this harrowing life. You know, it's, it's trying to be a little, it is trying to add in that sweetness and stuff. And like, I would just, if, if you're going to show it, just go all in, like, I would rather have it that way or if you're going to have it be kind of wacky and sweet like I'd rather see the um the 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 fun version of that um the mm-hmm. the, the, the kings of summer type version Yeah or even like the harmony Corinne like trash version version you know um like that um and I I think that in Fish Tank it didn't bother me because like they're not trying to be like Oh, side with these characters. It's just wrong. Like... Green Goblin actor in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and alien should have been in this movie. Also, also like the kids in the movie. I Chris mentioned something about the kids uh, way earlier. Um, you know, like their sort of their raw talent, as Mark Hamill would say. Um, <laughs> like they um, call back to some Star Wars. <laughs> call back. Call back to the Last Jedi trailer. Um, just, just sharing for Stephen, who I was like, "What?" <laughs> Did Carson just quote it verbatim to you to troll you because you refused to watch it? No, no, no I watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah dude. Um, uh, not not to divulge into that conversation too much, but I was not going to watch it because Ryan Johnson tweeted, "Don't watch it if you want to go and clean." And then, like a day later, he's like, "All right, take it all back. Watch it now. It's so good." <laughs> and then I watched it. But anyways, continue. yeah, they didn't they didn't spoil anything in the trailer. But yeah, um, no, I think that they're obviously like the kids in this movie are acting like kids. Like mm-hmm. I totally buy that they are real kids. I mean, they they are like they're not actors. Like they are just they're not acting. They're, they're not just CG being, apes. Yeah. They're being kids. You know, um, they totally weren't paid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paid under the table, guys. Um, they got paid in ice cream cones. <laughs> Child labor laws were way whack in this movie. No. Um, no, so, like, they are obviously... I believe that that's how they would act in that scenario. I just, like, personally find kids annoying. So, like, that just to <laughs> me wasn't... I just so I they, they successfully annoyed you. Like they're acting, their raw talent was so good that you were as annoyed as a normal child <laughs> would annoy you. I guess, but like I don't see it as like actual like acting. Like people are saying, like the ma- the little girl in it is. Now like, you know why I didn't like the Revenant. <laughs> he was well, just fucking cold. He wasn't acting. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of debate about that. I mean, I agree that Leo shouldn't have won for that movie. He should have won for like five other movies before that, but he was still good. Like, you know, but like, but that's the thing is that like, you know, like uh, Jared Leto was joking about how like. 
oh, guys, I'm not that great of an actor. I had to put in contacts to act blind in Blade Runner. It's like, yeah, but at least that is like a thing. (laughs) That's a conclusion that he came to where he's like, I am at least going to get the sensation of that. The little girl who hasn't acted before didn't do anything like that. Like She's just literally like, roll the camera and get her to do something. But uh, like, I don't know, like, again, there's a difference between acting just like a kid and then acting to act just like a kid. And I think that people... You know, I just don't agree with the people saying, like, this girl is, like, a revelation. And they're acting like she's Anna Paquin in The Piano, and she's going to win an Oscar. I was like, I, I don't it's, see it Is this it one of those, I don't want you to do the dishes, I want you to want to do the dishes things? Where you're like, no, no, no. The kids huh? are doing the dishes metaphorically. They're acting. But they're not trying to act, so it doesn't fucking count. Well, but so I would definitely say, like... I think anyone who is describing her as a great actor in the sense of, like, oh, the the acting talent. Like, I don't even know what that means for a kid at that age. Like, yeah. I felt it more as just she is a magnetic presence to people. Like, she she carries a lot of the movie in her energy and her uh, personality. Yeah. And that, yeah, to me, those lines are blurred. So, yeah, like, I think if someone is describing it as if, like, Oscar nomination... Yeah, to me, that just sounds like kind of the like the condescending, like, oh, isn't she gonna get an Oscar this year? Like, right? Like, no. like I said, they're acting like it's they're acting like it's Anna Paquin in the piano. Like she gave this amazingly dramatic performance for such a ch- you know for a child. I, I will say though, toward the very end of the movie, there's a a scene that lasts a few minutes. It's also the most like one of the most overtly sweet ones. So that may or may not have worked for Carson. But it's just, like, the mom takes the daughter to get breakfast, and the camera just, like, sits across from her. And you could tell, like, they just asked her to go, right? They were just like, we're going to film this for as long as it takes, and we're just going to let you talk about stuff. And, like, to me, that was, like, that is, like, an energetic, creative kid that I can't imagine going places. Not because she's a great actor right now, but because she is, like, not camera shy. and Mm Mm-hmm. But like, kind of, kind of like uh, you know, like Drew Barrymore and like Henry Thomas and E.T. Like yeah. they were acting like kids, but or they acted realistically like kids. But they were acting; they weren't like having to, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just like put them in front of the camera and let it roll. Uh, let's see what we get. Like I mean, I feel like they were at least aware of what acting is and is a movie. Like the I don't know, and that's why I always go back to like the difference between child actors back in the day versus child actors now and like there just seems to be like a weird disconnect the, the only big difference i would put like the distinction there is like sure the, the kids in this movie are just being kids but they are being kids with completely fake relationships like that is not her mom she yeah. does not know these people she doesn't live right. here like but so I'll, there is something to it where they're being told to do some blocking and they're following that and yeah, kind of putting themselves my, in it. my my one going the lines with what steven's saying right now my one argument against that for carson would be there there's a scene where the mother and the daughter are just eating pizza while watching tv and the camera is straight up in the little girl's face while she just awkwardly holds the slice of pizza and eats it and never once looks at the fucking camera. And I know that might have taken 900 takes, right, to get yeah. the one shot where she doesn't finally look at the camera. But I wouldn't be able to not look at the camera mm-hmm. while eating a piece of pizza sitting. Like I, I think that there is some sense of like I think she does 
know she might be hamming it up in a way that like children just ham it up yeah. so it's like being disguised yeah, in that I, way. I think she was realistically hammy yeah yeah but i but i think that there is some sense that like she understands that like the camera is here you're acting for the camera but don't act to the camera mm-hmm. and i and i have I, I have to believe that like there is some level of at least understanding, if not talent, that allows her to do that. But but the reason I compare it to documentaries is like even in a documentary or something, the people, especially young people, it's so obvious they know the camera is on them and they are acting in heightened ways that they would not act if the camera weren't there. Yeah. And to me, yeah. that's where it really blurs the line is like the like the way people act around a camera is probably a lot like the way they act when trying to impress a new kid on the block or anything else. Yeah. So that's kind of why that that works, even if there are moments where I felt like she was probably more energetic and more vocal and more everything than like a kid in that scenario might have been because the camera's right in front of her face. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's a personal thing. It mostly just comes down to I don't like kids. <laughs> S- sorry, sorry, mom. There's no grandkids in the future. <laughs> The only kids I approve of are like Sherry Bemis's children that Sarah follows on Instagram. That's that's all I can get behind. Um, <laughs> I don't get the reference. Yeah, I don't understand. That's <laughs> problematic, though. You could Google it. Now, Sherry Bemis, she's like the singer of uh, Isley and stuff. Mm. She's married mm. to Max Bemis. They have two she, kids. She played at the music venue underneath my living room. Oh, so snap. Yeah, they have, like, two, like, pretty cool kids that are way cooler than the kids in this movie. So, they should should just cast those kids. I Chris getting fidgety. (laughs) What? What, I thought you liked two hours of naturalism. (laughs) (laughs) Carson's hamming it up for the microphone over here. Hamming it way up, dude. I hate dumb wiener kids. (laughs) Fuck dumb wiener kids. All right, so should we get to a verdict for this film? Sure. Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? My mental dilemma is still going recommend with a caveat. It's just a strong caveat. Recommend because I think this is, Chris described it as a window, and I think that's definitely a good way to look at it. It is very much like getting a sneak peek at like a diary or a documentary, something of a world you've never seen before. And I, I think it's worth like applauding. It's worth seeing if it's something you're interested in. And I think it does get you thinking about people and situations that you wouldn't have thought of. So I'm, I'm really glad it exists. I think the heart is there. The caveat is it is not there in the way that you are probably used to. Tangerine had this. Tangerine had that abrasiveness, but it also had like a very hammy desire for conclusions that this movie does not have. That might be to its credit, but if the trailer made you think this is going to be Moonrise Kingdom, like it ain't going to be Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> so don't uh, basically know what you're getting into. It isn't going to be the pleasant take your mom to see it and everybody smiles type film. It's going to be a much more uh, trying button-pushing film than that, yeah. for better or worse. Carson Patrick. Uh, well, I'll just say, I, you know, again, I, I really like the look of the movie. I, I really like Willem Dafoe. I did like how they, they kind of showed you things piece, piecemeal, you know, they of, of like the, 
the interworkings and the daily activities of all the tenants, you know, like as Chris mentioned, they didn't have somebody come out and explain everything to you. Um, and I like that uh, Caleb Landry Jones was playing a, a normal dude, if only for two I, I scenes. I saw him two nights in a row because I saw American Made the night before. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, in American Made, yep. he was yep. like playing his typical role in that. So I had the same thing because I saw American Made the day after I saw Gemini. And like the lead chick from Gemini is in it like for a second in American <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she is. I feel like there was definitely some shit cut out of that movie because... There's no reason for her and her husband to be like in that movie. Her the character husband, char- husband character. Yeah, Jesse Plemons also yeah. uh very uh like it it surprised me it didn't surprise me at all that Jesse Plemons and Caleb Landry Jones were in a movie like that playing the characters mm-hmm. that they did. Uh but anyway, I like that he was in this movie playing a normal guy. Um but for me, this is a straight up must avoid. Um <laughs> but again, don't listen to me because ratings are arbitrary. So if you really want to see this movie, go see it and decide for yourself. Um, but for me, I did not like it. Uh, not for me. There you go. Yep. So if uh, if our rating scale was converted to a star system and I was rating it for myself, I'd probably give it five stars. Um, but I think within the confines of our rating system that I insist on, I would say this is a recommend with a caveat. So. What? That makes no sense. How's five I, stars translate to recommend? He he's saying he's kind of saying like what you're saying, where he can't use the phrase "must see" because he does not believe for most people it is a must see. Yeah, yeah, so but he's for like you, it's it a literally. Must. But for yeah. him, for you, for you, it's a must see, though, right? Yeah, we had the same to catch to catch Stephen up on the episode that he can't listen to because <laughs> we just recorded it five minutes before he walked in. Um, for Happy Death Day, I said I enjoyed it a lot, but it fits as a wait for rental because there's no reason to go out and see this in theaters. And then he was trying to like convince me to call it like <laughs> um, like basically give it the rating that I gave this one. So. Yeah, he it all well, you, you know, Steven, he was trying to rate it like eight different ways. And I was like, just rate it from your heart. <laughs> rate it from your heart. Give it a must see. Well, the joke's on you because I don't have one. Oh, no. <laughs> it got ripped out by Pennywise. It's okay. Tomorrow when he records the review again, maybe he'll give it a must see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining a version of Happy Death Day. You might want to edit this out where (laughs) you're trying to record the same podcast episode and every time Carson sneaks in like another line that you don't know how to edit. (laughs) No matter how many times you try to do it differently. I just can't edit out all these cum lines. And it just, I, the day repeats when I have an aneurysm during the edit. (laughs) Happy editing day. He's trying to edit out all the washing, washer sound effects in the background. There better not be washers on it. I told you, I, I, no, not this time. I still remember the time that I got to edit and realized that Carson was eating a fucking styrofoam bowl full of ice cream during the episode. <laughs> That's gonna I, I, every I two don't seconds. Remember that. <laughs> and, and Chris has a clear rule: if one drop gets in front of the microphone. Yeah. I'm not trying allowed to, to have the ice cream. You're just kind of trying to create some ambiance. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's brought us to the end of this Little episode f- of the Swore the Warning podcast. 
Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? You can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. Garza Patrick? Uh, you can hear me doing Foley on this podcast. Um, <laughs> other than that, I don't got anything else to pimp. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to The Florida Project. I assume there's a soundtrack. I, I think so. It'll, it'll be something. Um, so hopefully you're enjoying that. And uh, as I said <laughs> during the long opening banter, I will be gone for, for the next week, uh, two weeks technically. Um, but I think we might try to get some episodes out for you. So mm-hmm. hopefully you guys enjoy those. And uh, it'll be weird editing an episode that I can't like. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be the opposite of Happy Death Day. Like, I will have no memory of the conversation that I'm about to edit. Yeah. Um, so. Now you know how our listeners feel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this. Why would anybody listen to this? <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you guys in two weeks. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch the rest of you later. Bye. Bye.